0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with somebody from CODA about the latest news from that public transit agency. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics.
1: Coming up, a change in the safe haven option for mothers who are unable to care for their newborns. We look at why it's not an option in some places and the push to change that. The 118th Congress got off to a dramatic start. We asked three of Ohio's congressional reps, what they think about that, and how they plan to work for you. And the governor signed a new voting law into effect, but we have the latest on why some say it's a solution looking for a problem.
0: And in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with the mayor of Youngstown, who's attending the U.S. Conference of Mayors in Washington this week. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Jeff Pullen, who is the public and media relations manager for COTA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority. How are you doing?
2: Doing
3: well, thank you.
0: Thanks for talking to us. So it's uh, actually, as we record today, on Friday, January 20th, is the three-year anniversary of the first COVID case in the U.S. in Washington State. Boy, what a difference three years makes, huh?
3: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm grateful that we are on the other side of this. Uh, that, was a, that was a very uncertain time in January of 2020.
0: Before we start talking about some of the things going on with CODA, What has happened with the the transit system since then? How low in terms of ridership or trips did you go, and and is it back, or what's going on with it now? Yeah,
3: we obviously don't have all of uh, the data in from 2022 because December ridership numbers won't be in until the end of this month. But by comparison, in 2019, uh, we did about 19 million passenger trips an increase. We'll probably have a little over 10 million this year. Um, It obviously took uh, quite a dive in 2020 when we had to um, restrict the amount of people who could get on our transit vehicles, and also everybody was being asked to stay home for quite a period of time. time. Now, you think about uh, how our jobs have, have shifted. More people are working remotely, if they're not doing it every day of the week, they're doing it a handful of days of the week. So we've seen mobility patterns shift and uh, we're trying to respond to that uh, by making sure that we're putting our transit vehicles in neighborhoods where customers still need to use CODA as their primary form of transportation, but also uh, keeping in mind that we do have a handful of people who do uh, commute. Uh, so we still provide express lines that
0: on a more limited basis. With a smaller ridership, does it make it easier to make adjustments than than it was at, at its full blown capacity?
4: Well,
3: you know we're we're dealing with you're dealing with uh, two back to back crises. You had the global pandemic, and you also have a national uh, workforce shortage. Uh, so every industry is facing uh, a need for more. Uh, workers. Uh, you see that in the hospitality industry, you see it in uh, restaurant industry, you see it in nursing, t- uh, education. Uh, public transportation is in the same boat. So we are um, – the challenge that we have is uh, making sure that we have enough um, operators to run our service. So we've had to make reductions and strategic uh, changes in, in areas to make sure that we can continue to run all of our lines. But um, we've not been able to provide the, the frequency that we want to. So we've really spent uh, the latter half of 2022, and uh, it is a big priority in 2023 to uh, improve our workforce and ultimately improve our system. Uh, but it's going to be a challenge because there are, you know, nationally, um, more jobs available than people looking for work. So. Uh, we have to be pretty competitive and try to get uh, people to understand
4: that Coda is a great
0: place to work. That must be a challenge because uh, hiring a, a new bus driver—you know—that seems. I mean, I'd be scared to death to do that.
3: <laughs> uh, it, it, it really is. It really isn't um, a, a scary job to have. Um, there, operating a bus uh, does take some training, but the training is done on site. Uh, We pay for the training. We pay for uh, the certification, the commercial driver's license, your CDL. Uh, We're offering uh, $2,000 signing bonuses for new operators. If you already have your CDL, it's a $2,500 signing bonus. Uh, And then the benefits are uh, spectacular. You have uh, state retirement. You have um, uh, – that's OPRS benefits. You have – medical, uh, dental, vision. Uh, Our operators within five years are making $33 an hour. Uh, There's annual pay raises and bonuses. Uh, We're also uh, trying to target uh, younger people who are looking to start their career by offering uh, tuition um, reimbursement. So if you want to further your career or further your education or, um, or start your education at CODA, uh, you can uh, pursue a degree uh, in higher education and we will reimburse you. For those who already have a college degree and have student loans, uh, we're offering a $100 a month stipend to all employees uh, to pay off your student loans. That's $100 towards your student loans every month. And then offering domestic partner benefits. we're offering to different families the opportunity to have medical uh, benefits as well. And then pretty soon, we're going to be excited to, for those fam- those people who are starting a family or growing their family. We're going to have some benefits that will will help them as well that we're looking forward to rolling out. So we're really trying to make CODA a organization that people find desirable to come and have their career.
0: That's great. And, you know, after I said that about driving a bus, uh, you know, I thought back that, I've driven a, a pretty good sized U Haul truck that yeah. that I was really nervous about when I got behind the wheel and yet after, you know, twenty minutes of driving it and especially the second time I rented one, it was much, much easier. Yeah, and and I think uh, you know, obviously,
3: uh, I'm sure a U-Haul or a, or a box truck can be a little scary, but we have great trainers uh, at Coda, many of which uh, were operators themselves, that can give you that peace of mind. Also. The vehicles themselves have a lot of safety features that make it uh, very safe for our operators to maneuver even around our, our city streets, which, you know, aren't always easy to get up and down those
0: streets. So they can navigate traffic uh, and, and do that pretty well. Talking with Jeff Poland he's the public and media relations manager for CODA. You uh, have a discount pass program, too, that you wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, uh, this was one of our uh, 2022 goals that Uh, we were able to pilot and really proud to say that it is permanent and it's our new income assistance program. We're always looking for ways to make uh, fares equitable for our customers and we know that there is a large population of our customers who are on income assistance. So there's seven programs available out there uh, that that can qualify for our income assistance program. So if you're uh, receiving SNAP or publicly funded child care or Ohio uh, Work First cash assistance, there's a couple others like Medicaid and Temporary Assistance to Needy Families and WIC. And there's a whole list on our website. If you qualify for those and you receive those benefits, you take that verification to our uh, Customer Experience Center at CODA and you qualify for our Income Assistance Program, which gives you half off on all transit. So that means you will never pay more than $2.25 a day for transit or $31 a month for transit. So that's a huge discount. Uh, That's a 50% discount. And what we've done is make it really easy for you to come in and qualify. So if you qualify those other programs, we're not going to put you through a, uh, qualification pro- uh, process to get our discount, just bring that verification from one of those, uh, programs in, and we'll get you signed up same day.
0: What about integrating that with, uh, apps and, you know, all the online features that, that might be utilized yeah. in that?
3: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question, Dave. Uh, this program, uh, requires you to utilize uh, our digital payment system, which we rolled out in uh, November of 2021. And what that does is allows you to load cash onto either a smart card that will provide for you or a app uh, using the transit app, which many people use to uh, get around the city uh, to find out when their next bus is arriving. It also has a payment system. So you, uh, you'll be able to, um, utilize that to load cash on or a smart card and you'll get it uh be able to use uh coda at that discounted rate through the income assistance program so it really helps you get the best rate and uh it automatically uh shows that you're getting a dollar per trip so it's, it's a it's a really good program for those who need that income assistance
0: how is the participation rate on that? Because I think we talked about this last fall when you were getting ready to roll it out and trying to get the word out to folks.
3: We have several thousand people who are utilizing the new digital payment system, and we continue to market that to our customers because there are people who are paying uh, more for transit and probably afforded to leave because they're not able to pay Uh, for a $62 pass up front, so they pay as they go. If we can get them on this digital payment system, they can just load cash onto it and utilize it and get that best fare, which means they'll never pay more than $4.50 or $62 a month. So if we can get them on the income assistance program and on that digital payment system, they're going to cut all of – even the best fare, they're going to cut in half. So they're going to pay no more than – $2.25 a day or $31 a month. And then if you use the digital payment system, you can utilize your fare for two hours, which means if you pay for a a trip on the bus and you use it through the digital payment system, you have that trip for two hours, which means you can get on any bus going in any direction for the next two hours. So a lot of people just save money going if they have to go to the grocery store and they can do it within two hours. They're only paying a dollar or two dollars So uh, there's a lot of benefits to get on that digital payment system.
0: Talking with Jeff Pullen from CODA, uh, what about Columbus City School students and their utilization of the transit system?
3: Yeah, so uh, this was another big initiative in uh, 2022 uh, that is now uh, being utilized by our Columbus City School students, and we created the Educational Path Program. Now, let's be clear, this is available to any school or any district in our service area. As a matter of fact, it's very similar to what uh, Ohio State students use in their Buck ID, uh, giving them unlimited access to Coda. So, uh, Columbus City Schools uh, recognized that they needed more mobility options for their students. So, for their ninth through twelfth graders, they uh, enrolled all of them into our Educational Pass program which gives the school district um, a very deep discount on uh, transit for each student. Uh, the, all the students were given uh, student success cards. All the students uh, K through 12 were given student success cards, but the ninth through 12th graders were given unlimited uh, transit access through CODA. So that means if they want to use it to get to class, think about it, there are, um, there are a lot of uh, students who live close
0: Speaking of the city growing, I was curious. I remember uh, reading a lot of uh, releases from CODA in the past years before the pandemic about expanding routes and park and rides and things like that for the area down toward Rickenbacker and Groveport where all those warehouses are and all the jobs were popping up down that way. And so now now we've got Intel coming uh, on the northeast side of town. So I would imagine that's uh, the subject of a lot of meetings these days. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we are we're have great
5: relationships with uh, everybody from the city of Columbus all the way to ODOT to talk about
3: how we can expand transit service in our region. And and I encourage a lot of people to look at the LinkUs Mobility Initiative. That's the uh, LinkUsColumbus.org. It's a partnership with the city of Columbus, Morpsey, uh, Franklin County Board of Commissioners, and CODA to create a the mobility system of the future for the next 20, 30 years. And that means everything from high-capacity transit corridors to improving uh, connections with CODA buses, making sure that we have better frequency and better connections. Uh, also, uh, transit-supportive infrastructure, such as uh, trails and sidewalks and better roadways you know, those are processes that are happening right now. We're looking, we, we're doing design work on West Broad Street and East Main Street to create high-capacity rapid transit, which um, are uh, buses that operate almost like a light rail system. And then uh, we're working on that on the northeast side uh, from downtown all the way up through campus and to the Dublin area. So we're, we're looking at five to six more corridors that will help um, over the next, 20 years get more people uh, moving. And you mentioned Rickenbacker. Um, we're working on a mobility center down there that will help several mobility organizations, including CODA and then some rural mobility uh, agencies, connect people to jobs, but also create an environment where people who work down there.
0: A couple of minutes to go here with Jeff Pullen from Coda. I wanted to ask uh, about the service to and from uh, John Glenn Columbus International, and also about the C Bus, the downtown loop bus that goes around.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we have we do have service that goes uh, daily to uh, the airport on our existing transit line, but we also have um, what we call Air Connect. And Air Connect uh, used to be seven days a week, 365 days a year before the pandemic. But because there was so much limited business coming in during uh, the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, uh, was, that line was suspended. And we did bring it back uh, last year on a limited basis. So Air Connect is sort of partnered with um, organizations that are bringing in conventions and 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 things like that. So we will work with them on a limited basis that uh, have uh, transit to and from the airport in the days before those events and the days during and then after, because we do have those limited resources because of a national shortage of workers. So we want to make sure we're utilizing uh, service uh, where it is most needed, which is daily operation. Uh, C bus is another example of that uh, for, for people who don't know what that is. That was a downtown circulator that went from the brewery district to the short north and back through that area. That was discontinued during the pandemic. We have then provided programs that allow those downtown workers and short north workers to have unlimited transit. Through pass programs, and in their whatever company they work with, they buy into the pass program and uh, provide unlimited transit for those employees. So we do have some uh, ways for people to get around at no cost to them, and we do have a lot of lines on High Street that uh, provide travel about every five to ten minutes uh, for our customers. So. Really, the priority right now is on making sure we build our workforce so we are able to provide more transit. So those lines, uh, the AirConnect and uh, c uh, really can't be considered uh, full-time again until we can build up our workforce and improve those connections, not only downtown, but in other parts
0: of the city as well. Of course, a a pandemic of that nature is is always going to be, you know, a worldwide tragedy. But when it comes to, to locally, as it Impacted your organization. I mean, that C bus uh, service had really come into its own. The airport had just finished up, finally, a long string of renovations, and they were bringing in new airlines and everything right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and all this got stopped.
6: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you think about how naive we were uh, this time three years ago. We thought it was going to be something that we endured for a couple of weeks and then we went back to normal and and here we are still talking about it almost three years later and it has an enormous impact i can't imagine any industry that wasn't impacted by covid and and now impacted by workforce challenges there are very few industries that aren't looking for employees right now so it's an interesting ripple effect but it's uh, a challenge that going to keep powering through
0: yeah it's just something else jeff poland again he's the public and media relations manager for coda if folks want more information about anything you've been talking about jeff how do they find it
3: you can go to coda.com uh we have everything that we talked about on here from um our discount programs to uh the ccs program and uh link us we can get all that information is on there
0: excellent thanks so much for your time jeff sure appreciate it thank you This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130
4: on 10 TV. Together, we are creating the environment in the state where every single Ohioan can have a better life and a more prosperous future. And we did that.
1: Governor Mike DeWine sworn in for a second term. You will hear him outline his goals for the next four years. The way you vote and when you can vote is changing. There is pushback on the newest law signed by Governor DeWine. We thank you for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Let's start with a look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. with the new rules for the House Speaker. Following a historic series of events, the House narrowly passed a package of rules governing its operations. It includes a change that allows a single member to be able to force a vote to oust the newly elected Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. I talked with Representative Joyce Beatty about what happened and what's next for the 118th Congress.
6: It started off with a lot of confusion, uh, confrontation, and chaotic, but as we've moved forth, forth, uh, we noticed in the very first bill, the speaker came right out with the bill that's protecting uh, those who have the most, protecting them when we think of IRS, when we think of their taxes. Mm -hmm. So that was not a good sign for us. But as Democrats, we are holding strong because we know we have to put people over politics. We know that we have to keep fighting for those everyday issues that our constituents talk to us about. This will be quite a difference from
1: the last Congress. How challenging do you think it's going to be for Democrats since you are not in the majority?
6: Here's the interesting thing. While we are not in the majority, we witnessed what happened uh, when they were trying to elect their speaker. Think about it. Fifteen rounds. Thousands of times I had the opportunity to say Hakeem Jeffries." <laughs> 212 people held firmly while they were all over the place. And I think that's what we're going to see. They have a four-seat margin for the majority. That makes it very difficult with their divided caucus. The Democrats will stay united, but we will also do what we've always done, fight for the people, will be fair. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work with colleagues uh, in Central Ohio. And when people are doing the right thing, then we'll work together. Uh, I'm excited about the 118th. I have an amazing district. We also invited 15th Congressional
1: Representative Mike Carey to join us for Face the State and did not receive a response. The team in the 12th District of Congressional Representative Troy Balderson did get back to me, but they said, you know, a schedule was too packed to do an interview. We are going to be working to get one scheduled in the next week. So look for that. Now, one reason for Balderson's packed calendar is that He was just elected to serve on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. It's one of the oldest standing committees of the U.S. House of Representatives. And it's responsible for consumer protection, food and drug safety, public health and research, and environmental quality, among other things. Governor Mike DeWine gave his second inaugural address. He touted Ohio's manufacturing surge, but did not mention Intel by name. He said the state will go after violent offenders who are terrorizing our communities, as well as drug dealers, but he did not say how. DeWine says he's prepared to transform Ohio into a state with the best mental health treatment, the best mental health research and prevention. In January of last year, he did announce spending $15 million from a federal grant toward treatment.
4: We are building in Ohio where every single child, whether they live in Appalachia, in the inner city, in a village, suburbs, every child, we're working so that every child has access to child, child, quality child care, access to a good school, access to a positive role model and mentor. We are building an Ohio where every child, every child can find something that they have a real passion for and get
1: the training they need to turn that passion into their life's work. One topic the governor did not touch on in his speech, the new voter ID law he just signed days before. It's a change that's resulting in lawsuits
2: and outrage. These are radical changes that were made in the middle of the night that uh, where lawmakers did not get to hear from voter advocates. So these changes are unnecessary. They will be expensive. House Bill 458, which
1: Governor DeWine signed, includes stricter photo ID requirements, eliminates early voting on the Monday before Election Day, eliminates most August special elections and shortens the deadline to apply to cast absentee ballots by mail. 10TV's Kevin Landers talked with a group that's against the change. He also asked to interview the governor about it, but was declined. It's a subject Kevin did ask DeWine about last month in a one-on-one sit-down interview. Weeks before
7: Governor Mike DeWine signed House Bill 458, he defended the state's election system and was debating whether to mandate voters show a photo ID to cast a ballot. Ohio, we do a good job. So why do we need this? You don't seem to be overly convinced that there's a problem.
4: Well, look, I think the burden is always on if someone wants to change the status quo. Uh, you know, we have to, they have a burden of showing that there is a real need for this. So I'm going to look at the bill. I'm going to look at each each separate provision that they have made and uh, ultimately make a decision.
7: DeWine's decision to mandate a photo ID for registered voters has voter rights groups like the League of Women Voters calling for the governor to prove where the voter fraud is happening.
2: We care about election security and integrity, but this doesn't do that. A strict voter ID law would only stop voter impersonation, which does not exist in the state.
7: Even Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRosa's own voting poster touts the security and accuracy of Ohio elections. Voting rights groups say they don't believe photo ID requirements make Ohio elections safer.
2: Fraud is exceedingly rare, and it's never voter impersonation. Voter impersonation is the only thing that a strict photo ID would fix.
7: But the Secretary of State says nationwide polls conducted in 2021 show people support photo ID before someone casts a ballot to ensure a fair election. The League of Women Voters says while it doesn't plan to file a lawsuit against the state, it does plan to pressure Ohio lawmakers to make sure voters are educated about the new voting laws.
2: We're calling on the General Assembly and the governor to fund boards of elections to educate voters on all of these changes to make sure that no one falls through the cracks.
1: That was Kevin Landers reporting. The new voting law is also coming under scrutiny from Disability Rights Ohio. The nonprofit corporation has a mission of advocating for an equitable Ohio for people with disabilities. Disability Rights Ohio has served... As our state's protection and advocacy system and client assistance program, it's governed by a board of directors, primarily consisting of people with disabilities and family members of people with disabilities. Leadership of the agency says it could potentially affect those with disabilities and their ability to exercise their right to vote. I talk with Kevin Truitt, who leads Disability Rights Ohio's legal and policy advocacy efforts.
8: One of the major new requirements in this legislation is a, a photo id requirement for people who are voting on election day or early voting um the photo id requirement so most people many people already have a photo id whether it's mm-hmm. a driver's license or a state identification state identification card but a lot of people across the state don't um and a lot of people with disabilities don't have a photo id already and so um, there are a lot of barriers for people, especially people in rural areas, people who live in nursing facilities or other mm-hmm. congregate care residential settings, um, people who rely on home care workers like home health aides, personal care aides, nurses. Um, so, there's inadequate access to transportation, for example, for, for this population. So, even if a photo ID is going to be free moving forward, um, A lot of people are going to have to travel to their local BMV to get a new ID, and that's just not feasible or realistic for a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. so that's a major barrier that's going to be placed in front of this population, many, many people with disabilities across the state.
1: Now, when it comes to eliminating voting on the Monday before an election, critics argue that is going to create long lines. We're told that change is supported by the bipartisan Association of Election Officials, who have pushed for more time to prepare for elections. Governor DeWine also signed a bill that could help improve teacher shortages across the state. We're talking about House Bill 554. Now, it allows the State Board of Education to issue two-year temporary educator licenses to people who let their teaching certificates expire. This is only for those who do not have past disciplinary measures on their teaching records. Education professionals say they aren't sure how much relief this is going to provide for teachers.
9: House Bill 554 is a small step in the right direction uh, because it takes away some of the barriers for people that may have previously been uh, licensed to teach and working in our classrooms uh, who stepped away the opportunity to come back uh, without an undue burden. Uh, but we have a much larger issue that needs to be addressed, and that is uh, the pipeline of people that are choosing education as a career is, has dropped pretty dramatically. Uh, we have only half the number of people choosing education as a career uh, and academic academic major now compared to 10 years ago. Uh, We've got fewer people working in our schools. We've got acute uh, shortages of substitute teachers and education support professional positions and teaching positions in a lot of places across the state. Uh, And what we need uh, is a comprehensive approach to make sure that all educators have the support and respect and resources that they need in order for education to truly be an attractive profession that not only draws new people into teaching, but also supports and keeps those who are already here.
1: Despite hesitation, education professionals say the bill is a major step forward in terms of bringing more teachers to the state of Ohio. Now, just before the start of 2023, President Biden pardoned a Columbus woman convicted of killing her abusive husband back in the 1970s. The now 80-year-old was 33 at the time of her conviction. She testified that her husband beat and verbally abused her before she shot him. During the trial the judge refused to allow expert testimony on battered woman syndrome. Her appeal was among the first by someone with that condition. We talked with experts from the Ohio Domestic Violence Network who say people have successfully argued their cases using battered woman syndrome, but the diagnosis is still not widely accepted.
2: So I think that one of the, you know, really important recognitions is that there are and even when battered woman syndrome was kind of that 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 phrase was coined in a a, kind of a famous book um, that came out in 1979. It was really kind of used to describe the psychological impact of domestic violence. Now, if you
1: or someone you know is impacted by domestic violence, leaders from LSS Choices say there are signs to watch for for victims of abuse or those dealing with battered woman syndrome.
6: Our role is um, we have advocates and case managers that are available to assist people with telling them um, exactly or linking them to uh, uh, particular legal services that might be of assistance to them um, in cases like that.
1: And again, there is round the clock help available. You can chat live with a professional by going to the hotline.com board. AEP is hoping to make some changes to avoid another widespread power outage, but it's going to cost customers.
10: What would you say to people on fixed incomes who are concerned over that price increase?
1: We ask AEP what they will do to minimize the impact on your bill and why they say the price hike is necessary. Plus, a call to change Ohio's safe haven for newborns law. This comes after one fire department stops offering the option for moms who can't care for their babies.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
9: thanks
0: for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
1: Welcome back to Face the State. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost asked the state Supreme Court to weigh in on the abortion ban. This is the latest move in the fight over Ohio's abortion laws. Now, the heartbeat law took effect last summer when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. A Hamilton County judge later blocked the heartbeat law and the 1st District Court of Appeals denied Yost appeal. Now Yost is asking the Ohio Supreme Court to take up this issue and he argues trial courts are dragging out proceedings so the injunction remains in effect. At the same time, one option for mothers who are unable to care for their newborn is a safe haven box. You can leave an unharmed newborn, less than 30 days old, no questions asked. But you may have seen some posts on social media about some of these locations no longer being offered. 10TV's Lindsay Mills looked into those claims.
11: In August of 1972, uh, a young 17-year-old girl was brutally attacked and raped. Monica Kelsey is the creator of Safe Haven Baby Boxes. And then she gave birth in April of 1973 and abandoned her child um, two hours after that child was born and that child was me. The mission is personal and one that has had success in states like Indiana. Our sister station, WTHR, interviewed a family that adopted a baby left in a Safe Haven Baby Box. This is the only... Piece that connects us with her biological mom. Here in Ohio, here's a look at where those boxes are located. Many are at small fire departments. We now know, though, of at least one that is no longer being offered. The Union Township Fire Department in Batavia. Its closure confirmed by that fire department and the Ohio Department of Health. The reason, according to the fire department, they are not able to guarantee that someone is in the building at all times in the event the box is utilized, and that's. Required In Ohio, under the safe haven for newborns law, you can anonymously leave your unharmed baby, less than 30 days old, with someone who fits the following criteria, a medical worker in a hospital or at a fire department or another emergency service organization, or with a peace officer at a law enforcement agency. In 2017, the state legislature established the newborn safety incubator program, which, according to ODH, requires the department to adopt rules and register the incident installation and operation of these incubators to ensure the safety of the baby. In an email to 10 TV from ODH, a spokesperson writes an individual must be on site to immediately answer the alarm and assess the condition of the newborn. Technology and alarms may fail, and if they fail at this most critical time, the on site individuals role is of the highest importance. Monica Kelsey is calling on the law to be revised. No one has to be standing inside that that firehouse. The box is calling 911 on its own. And then they also have an app on their phone where they can see the inside of the baby box in real time. So if there is a baby in that box, we're going to know it immediately.
1: And again, that was Lindsay Mills reporting. There is a box installed in Sunbury at the local fire department. According to Fire Chief Chris Kovac. they've stopped using it and hope that the language is changed in the law. The Ohio Department of Health says it will work with the legislature if any plans are in the works. But so far, there are none. A familiar face who once led public safety in the capital city is back on Columbus City Council. Council voted Mitchell J. Brown to take Elizabeth Brown's seat. The electric giant AEP is responding to concerns over proposed rate increases. The goal is to provide more reliability, they say, so that we don't experience a widespread outage like we did last summer. 10 Ashley Bornanson asked AEP how they plan How this plan, rather, will specifically reduce outages and what this is going to mean for families who can't afford the price hikes.
10: Electricity, what keeps our modern world going round.
4: We got to pay it. We got to eat. We got to have housing. We got to have power. We got to have heat. But
10: this summer, that came to a halt when extreme heat and wind storms knocked out power across central Ohio. AEP was forced to cut off power to about 170,000 people. For some, like Homer Claypool, this meant no power for a week
4: lost a lot of food, got kids at the house.
10: Northeastern Ohio was particularly hard hit. Um, There was a a bomb cyclone in that area, and so there were many outages. Lisa Kelso of AEP Ohio says they don't expect the chaos we saw this summer to happen again. With the new $2.2 billion plan the company filed to improve equipment, their power grids, and increase tree trimmings around the lines to hopefully prevent future outages. We have Um, hundreds of assets that are going to reach the end of their useful life in the next 10 years. And by making these improvements, we'll be able to improve reliability and the resiliency of the grid for our customers. But with that will come a cost. If passed, the customer will pay 2% more each year, about $4 more a month or 48 bucks a year. Some people are on fixed incomes. What would you say to people on fixed incomes who are concerned over that price increase? We know that um, there are customers that are experiencing financial hardship, and we'd encourage you to reach out. Give us a call at 1-800-672-2231. The company is also proposing a $5 discount for senior citizens and energy efficiency programs to help low-income customers reduce their energy use. Some say they don't mind the increase.
8: If we're going to have to spend a little bit more to make it more reliable for everybody, then that's an okay expense to uh have, I think.
10: Others say they are frustrated. So you
4: know, they they can just charge us whatever and we gotta live every day, so we have to pay it. We ain't got no choice.
1: That was Ashley Bernansen reporting. AEP Ohio is also proposing a resilience pilot program where they would have portable generators. They would be able to move to different areas, experiencing outages, and then limit the outages to low-income families and those who are most vulnerable. If that's approved, that would start in June of 2024. Well, they may have survived the pandemic, but the challenges aren't over for some small businesses in Ohio. What it will take to make it through a possible recession.
2: It's our dream. For a life that's healthy and clean, make it green, green, green. My mom said making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Make sure you test your home for radon. It's easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green,
0: green, green. A message from the US EPA. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
1: The pandemic, as you know, was hard on many small businesses in our state. And now owners are up against a looming recession. As 10TV's Clay Gordon found in a new survey, owners and leaders say they're ready for it.
12: Small businesses need to be nimble, whether in a recession or just recovering from pandemic-related problems.
2: Two-thirds of business leaders are expecting a recession in the U.S. um, in the coming year now there are a number of headwinds they've been facing
12: some of those headwinds inflation and labor j p morgan chase surveyed nearly 1800 small and mid-sized business leaders for its 2023 outlook report the economic outlook might be bleak But many have already factored it in.
2: Fifty percent are still expecting to add workers this year. And only 12 percent of those surveyed indicate they would be reducing headcount. Majority expect revenues to grow as well as profits in the coming
12: year. The Ohio Secretary of State's office says the latest figures from November show the Buckeye State added 13,420 new businesses, which is down about 93 filings from the year before. In 2019, 2020, and 2021, Ohio set records for business creation. John Barker is the president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. 2020 was uh, you know, really the toughest year that we have had in the restaurant industry. He says Central Ohio was part of the nearly 100,000 restaurant closings across the U.S.
0: Uh, I think restaurants and you know, hotels and breweries, everybody in this hospitality
12: space, has really focused on how to run their business you know, the right way, tight and get efficient. The, on the encouraging side, you are seeing restaurants open all over the place. Finding workers has shown to be easier for the food industry in the last quarter. Layoffs are happening in other industries, so more employees are looking for a flexible and immediate opening, and wages are now higher. Because they have to be.
2: A large majority expect to raise wages. That's really been the way that businesses have been trying to attract and
0: retain employees. Wages have gone up significantly. There's no question about it. We've seen double-digit increases in, in every you know every layer within the hospitalities. For Consumer 10,
1: I'm Clay Gordon. Thank you for joining us here on Face the State today, and we wish you a great week.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10-TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with a look at what you can see this morning at 1130 on
1: 10-TV. Coming up on Face the State, what you need to know and who to watch for in the householder trial set to get underway in Cincinnati. State lawmakers say Ohio schools aren't getting the job done for children is the right answer to give control to the governor. Experts weigh in on that. And a central Ohio farm is the focus of a possible environmental mess that could threaten public health and safety. We have an update on what Ohio's AG says he's doing about it. We'll see you at 1130 for Face the State. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit
10: www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
0: Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is the mayor of Youngstown, Tito Brown. He is attending the U.S. Conference of Mayors in Washington, D.C. this week. How are you doing? I'm good. How about yourself, Dave? Good. I understand that uh, there's about 300 mayors uh, from across the country attending and learning about various issues that are kind of common with all cities and the problems they face.
5: Right. Yeah, this is our, our winter session, and it's always uh, in Washington, D.C., and this year seems to be a lot more mayors that are here um, than past. So that's exciting to see more mayors getting involved and get engaged.
0: Yeah, I was looking at your bio. You've been the mayor since 2017. You've held uh, a lot of offices prior to being mayor in the city. You were born and raised there, have your family there. You have a master's and bachelor's from Youngstown State. That's pretty cool. I mean, you are really entrenched in the area.
5: Yeah, I always say I'm, I'm born and bred. I, I, am, I am Youngstown, so. It's a great opportunity uh, to be honest with you. It's it's to work for the community where you live, you work, you're raising your family, and it's just uh, it's just exciting for me when I get to events like this and I get an opportunity to talk about uh, some of the people in my community and some of the things that we're doing. Um, it's it's rewarding.
0: When you're at a conference like that, obviously it's about learning from other cities on how to deal with issues. But I would guess also, as you just kind of inferred talking about what your city is doing that maybe other cities can learn from as well
5: right absolutely actually we, we uh, this this session or this this meeting.
0: fantastic you know when you think about Youngstown obviously you're in a very heavily populated area of northeast Ohio but given how I think everybody just about everybody in the country knows of Youngstown unfortunately because of some of the economic turmoil of the past years but do you find people are surprised to learn that your population is just about 60,000
5: now, we're at a a pivotal point right now. We're changing what the
0: That is a a strong point, too, that you make about Youngstown. You know, Cleveland used to be the brunt of jokes. You've got the Rust Belt, which includes all of Ohio and neighboring states. Everybody trying to shake off that image. And with Intel coming to Ohio and all those kinds of things, it seems to be getting shaken off. Talking with Youngstown Mayor Tito Brown. Your city, like uh, all big cities in Ohio, is dealing with violence, youth violence particularly. W- what is your take on what's going on?
5: You know, it, it is. It's, it's an alarming issue. If you talk to any mayor here, you know, the one, if you give them five topics and they say, check which which of the five, or check all five, that you deal with, and I I'm in safety of the community.
0: It seems like a tired old message, and yet it is true. You've got to keep kids occupied, keep them away from being bored and just wandering around. Talking with Youngstown Mayor Tito Brown, who's in Washington for the U.S. Conference of Mayors going on. You mentioned uh, top concerns for cities. What would you say your top three or four concerns are in Youngstown? Because of the pandemic, so many cities and uh, just various entities received one time funding to get through that, and yet some may have set up programs that would not be sustainable with that funding going forward. How big of a focus and importance is that for cities to keep that in mind?
5: It is. I think one of the things, you know, we, we look at the philosophy is that, you know, when we are doing or looking at how to spend our ARPA funds, we're either going to uh, kick a program or a project off or we're going to take an not a local foundation, and I think that's the, that was the misinterpretation. When you got the f- m- money, it's just like, well, it's a foundation. Oh, no, it shouldn't be a foundation, but it should also be focused on making.
0: When you're at a conference like this, is there another city either in Ohio or somewhere else in the country that you kind of pay close attention to because of perhaps similarities to Youngstown? with Youngstown Mayor Tito Brown. Anything else you'd like to add?
5: You know, I, I just appreciate you guys for putting a spotlight on what the mayors are doing. You know, we always say there's three types of people in the world. There's there's the Republican, Democrat, and then there's mayors, and the mayors are the ones who actually have to solve the problems of everybody's day to day operations.
0: Let me ask you real quick. Since you brought that up, when we're talking about city officials as opposed to what's going on in Washington with Congress all the time, is the camaraderie better between the parties? Longstown Mayor Tito Brown, thanks so much for joining us, and good luck at the conference.
5: Thank you so much, Dave.
0: This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS-AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.